Welcome to Game Store Profits, where we talk about God, gaming, and groups. I'm your host, Daniel Fisher. Along with me today is the overwhelming and awesome and beautiful Mike Perna. Wow, I mean, your descriptions on this one were much more common than your past ones have been, but you really just threw as many of them in there as possible. <laughs> well, you know... I wanted people to know how awesome you are, and so I hit the thesaurus for the word awesome. And <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I want to be clear. This, Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a framing device or some something for us being cute. Did you literally go to the thesaurus? Yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, this is going to be a special episode, I can tell already. This yeah. is going to be special. Because we're, we're special it's, people. It's not like we've been, you know, stir crazy under quarantine or anything. No, not not at all. It's like day two. I've got a friend actually that because uh, we're, you know, I'm working from home and uh, she's the uh, at her, she was the dean of the library at one of our local libraries and uh, or not libraries but like local colleges. And she posted on there on her Facebook earlier this week. So since everybody's working from home, let's pretend that your children are your coworkers and describe. And coworker things what they are doing. I, I've seen similar posts. <laughs> and at, at the end of the week, I said my coworkers are getting ready to unionize. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. it is it is time to place this in history for those people who may be listening to this at some future date and not, you know, uh, and potentially listening to us on a radio built on coconuts or whatever they're going to be doing in the future. We are in the midst of a quarantine for a global pandemic. Uh, it's the first in a good long while. I can't remember when was the last one Spanish flu. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. So it's been a good long while since the planet has seen something of this magnitude. So things are a bit intense and, uh, much like everybody else in the world, we are going to be talking vaguely about that and how that affects what we do here at game store profits and inroads ministries. But, uh, we're still going to try and mostly do normal stuff. So, don't think that we're going to be waxing philosophically on too much about the disease and its place in the world. We're we're still going to be talking about board games and stupid stuff and making jokes. So, well, can I give a PSA real quick, Mike? Absolutely, folks. Wash your hands. Don't pick your nose. Don't fling boogers on kids. And keep your mouth and cough. <laughs> but only on kids. Please, and, you can flick your boogers on other people, just not yeah. on kids. And, and stand six feet away from people when you're at the store. And, and, and elbow bump. Don't fist bump. Don't high five. And you'll be all right. Um, just be clean. That's it. I, I absolutely love the fact that of all the, the myriad of verses that get ripped out of context for, for timing re reasons... No, never has any of them ever been more beautiful than wash your hands, sinners. <laughs> yeah. it's, I've seen it out so many places, and it makes me happy every time I see it. Well, I mean, okay, you posted that thing with Alton Brown, which I loved. Yes. And so, Al like, I, I, now I'm going to have to find that link because it is beautiful, and, and it has been referenced now. Alton Brown did like like a legit PSA of proper hand-washing technique. And, and so what people don't realize, I have friends... I work in a chemical company, and there's another chemical company up the road, and I have friends that are chemists, right? And we have been making soap for literally thousands of years. The same stuff that you buy, all scented, wrapped in wax paper at this grocery store, 
The basic recipe has not changed. Fat and lye. There, right there is lye soap. Granny's old lye soap. Mix the two together, solidifies, and you can now wash your hands. What happens is there's a chemical reaction in that it removes the fat layer from outside that stupid virus and it dies. Because the way the soap reacts with the fat. Now, liquid soap does it, but not as good as bar soap. And that's because of the solids. It's got something to do with the solids. I'm not going into it. I can pull it up and, and recite. We, we can but, only do so much, you know, armchair but, chemistry. And also, the water rinsing over your hands rinses off excess viruses and the dead viruses as you kill them. That's why it is so important to wash with soap, 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 bar soap, bar soap. Go buy you some. I bought, literally bought a 10-pack for $5, and I took four of them and put one in, in a baggie apiece and handed it to my children. I said, if you if you go anywhere and you are not leaving this house without us anyway, but if you do end up going somewhere and you get to where you need to, you can wash your hands, use this. Just use it and stick it in your back pocket. So, and I keep one in the car now. So, anyway, that's so it. The, there's your there's your obligatory, let's do what we can to make this end as soon as possible. Wash your hands, you sinners moment. Yeah, it, you know, we always had this thing in the gun world because, you know, I do love my guns is keep your booger hook off the bang switch. Yeah, just put it on the bang switch. Keep it out of your nose. <laughs> All right. Let, let's right, get into it, some it, of the it, stuff that we yeah. normally talk about. Let's let's stop talking about the craziness because I'm pretty sure if somebody's bothering to listen to us. They've yeah. heard enough about this nonsense. Yeah. Uh, it, it's literally impossible to not hear about it. So let's talk about other things. Daniel, have you had the opportunity to play anything? Gosh, Mike, um, no. <laughs> I have got the opportunity to read stuff. I did buy a new game this week, so I'm not going to talk about it. It's not an archive job. But um, uh, if you want to say opportunity to read, um, I picked up the Old School Essentials PDFs on Bundle of Holding, and those are just really Dungeons and Dragons BX edition, and it's amazing. I'll leave it there. It's gaming related, yes. and it makes sense in the time frame. So yeah. you know, that's fine. Yeah. If you if you want something old school, but it's new school because its rules have been not rules, but the the explanation and the way the rules have been written. Um, now make more sense than they originally did in the BX box set of D&D that came out in the late 70s. That's your go-to. It's by Necrotic Gnome is the company that does it, and the books are beautiful. They're laid out great, and they've got a whole, they got their own world, but it, everything that works with sword and sorcery, any old school D&D manuals or uh, modules will work with it. Everything will run in it because it's it's essentially the same rules. They fixed a few things that were broken. That's about it. Well, there we go. Uh, I, because I've been in lockdown for this past week, uh, thankfully, because I work for a school, they decided they were going to pay us for two weeks. So I was actually able to stay home and not fear for my existence. Uh, I actually did get a couple of games because my son looks at me and says, Daddy, I want to play a game with you. So... His quickly, his two favorite games are on just kind of semi continual loop. Now, for those of you who are new to the podcast or are not familiar with our home game, my son is two. So 
even though I'm playing both of these games I'm going to talk about are clearly kids games and designed for kids, we're still kind of playing them in the loosest sense. So it's not like I even I even bothered to, to put them on my game stats or anything because we are kind of sorta playing them. But I still count it because I still want to talk to you people about these games because they're both really good. If you're home right now and have small children or even small-ish children, because you know they're not bad for you know kids that are a little older, uh, I want to talk to you about them. And then after that, I'm going to just gush a little bit about what I've been playing for me. But first off, I'm going to talk about a game, one game that you've heard me talk about before on this podcast called Animal Upon Animal. Animal Upon Animal is basically a dexterity game for small children. You have a cavalcade of of animals that are all, depending on which edition you get, there might be different sets of animals. But the one I have has snakes, toucans, uh, penguins, hedgehogs, monkeys, and sheep. And basically, as ridiculous as this is going to sound, just please go with me on this for a moment. You start off with an alligator that sits on the table, and everybody has the same set of pieces. You get one of each type of animal, and the goal is to get rid of all of your animals. You do this by rolling a die, and it'll say, like, you have to put one piece on, you have to put two pieces on, and then there's some other cool, fun, kind of silly things that kids get a a kick out of, like, uh, somebody else can tell you what piece you have which of your animals you have to try to put on you can there's one that says instead of having to worry about piling it up on top of the tower of animals you can just kind of nuzzle your animal next to the alligator and so kind of extending the play field as it were there's there's just a lot of cool things that you can do and it's essentially just a dexterity game where you're building random shapes on top of other shapes trying to get rid of them uh, but it is, it's really good for small hands because the, the bits are kind of chunky. Like even the smaller ones, they're, they're chunky wooden bits. So even the tiny little penguin still feels good in your hand. I've played this game with grown adults, not a single child at the table. And I have, I've still had just a blast playing animal upon animal. So, you know what? I forgot I played that last week. You played it last week? Yeah, I was teaching Tammy how to play it. I was like, I knew I played a game. And when you said Animal Upon Animal, I'm like, oh my gosh, I played it. I was so, wondering about the faces you were making. You you at home missed out on a show. <laughs> yeah. We need to really start video casting this. Oh, don't, not right now. Not in the middle of this. Not not oh, as the I, world burns, uh, we're going to start recording the video maybe, of this. No. Maybe next. Ne- ne- we're, we're, let's we'll figure get, this out. We'll three get back episodes. to you on that. We'll give it three episodes to see what happens. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I definitely want to bring up Animal Upon Animal. It's a ton of fun. I have the, the 10th anniversary edition. Uh, I will, I will say that, uh, one nice thing as, as far as the craziness goes is that Haba, because they primarily make games for small children, their policy on giving you replacement pieces is phenomenal. Yeah, and a few dots get replaced to them. Yeah, and I'm gonna have to do that because in in all the moves that I've had to make, and the fact that Noah just plays with all the little animals, there should be four sets of every animal, 
And I have four of every animal, except one penguin has gone missing, and I have no idea where it is. It might still be in New Jersey, for all I know. But, uh, but anyway, I will move on to the next one, which I brought out, like, it's one of the games that I bought early, trying to realize, like, oh, you know, I need more kids' games. And it was cheap, and it seemed really neat for what it was doing, and uh, I... I, I didn't do my due diligence. I don't even know if this is available anywhere anymore right now. Uh, it's called Backyard Builder's Treehouse. If you can get your hands on it, it's a really neat little game. You're you're literally picking up two cards and you have to play one of them. And the goal is to build this treehouse where, this as in all true, as far as I'm concerned, kids games, like the early, early kids games, you're either matching by number or matching by color. So you're, you're playing cards to try your best. Like if you if you literally have nothing, you can flip it to a, a kind of gray nothing space, which is you don't want to do unless you absolutely have to. But your goal is to try and get as many of the, like a color run, like the biggest color run gets you bonus points. And like, it's really, really simple. Look at two cards. What's going to give you the easiest match of the color and or number? Go up to the top of the treehouse. Whoever has the most points wins. It's This is one of those games that I point to when people recount how much they hated Candyland. And these games sound nothing like Candyland. Like, like y- y- work with me here. But the reason I, I use this as a, a modern thing that is much, much better than Candyland is that Candyland isn't a game. It's a way to teach kids colors. That's all it is. This does that. This teaches colors, and it teaches numbers on a basic level, like identifying these are the same number. (laughs) And it's much more interesting. It gives you choice. Like, you have to pick up a card and choose which of the two cards in your hand are the best one. Like, you're you're planning on things, and if you really want to if you're working with kids that are a little older, there are special things like you can can build towards who has the most of certain tiles or uh, like there's all there's a whole litany of them. I don't have them in front of me, but there's a whole litany of special kind of things that will get you bonuses, which if you're playing with older kids, that's a whole other thing. It it takes this idea of we're going to play a game to teach these kids colors and does something really interesting with it. That and the fact that the first player token is a little wooden hammer and my son has no greater joy in life than when I put down the card and he literally hammers it into place. It makes his day. <laughs> but the candy. No. The candy no, 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 no. No. Even, even, if, even if you want to try and do that... Who like Smirk and Dagger? I can't remember the exact title of it. It's like like Watch Out Candyman or something like that. And it's literally like you're <laughs> hunting down uh, gingerbread men. I would sooner point you to that. Hey kids, Future Mike here with a little bit of an update. I actually tracked down what that game is called. It's called Run for Your Life, Candyman. I was right. It is Smirk and Dagger. So definitely check that out. But maybe don't play that one with the kids. That's it for me. Future Mike out. Uh, the last one is just for me. Noah isn't playing this, and quite frankly, uh, unless I get Steve Taylor uh, online at crazy hours of the evening, I don't know when I'll be able to play this with anybody. 
I now have Blood Rage Digital. That's cool. I have been playing more Blood Rage in the past, you know, couple weeks than I have in ages. You got it on the PC? I do. Right. Me and him are getting ready to get on, hopefully this week, and play 40K together. He has been going whole hog on 40K. Yeah, he's my he's my UK connection because he finds out stuff before we do over here. So, uh, yeah, I I've been thoroughly enjoying this. If you've ever listened to us, you've heard that for a long stretch of time, my favorite game is Blood Rage, and quite frankly, it's still depending on when you ask me, either number two or number three in my my favorite games of all time. I love Blood Rage. I love the theme. I love the minis. I love the fact that it's drafting. I, I love everything about Blood Rage. So, naturally, when they decided they were going to do it in a digital format, I jumped on it. And I, I have not been disappointed. Uh, it is still in beta, so every once in a while things go wonky, like a, a, a fig is standing there, but it, you, you can't see that it's standing there, or all the the fun little things that come with a, a beta of a of a game, but it's gorgeous. It does all the math for you. It has a really interesting UI. If you've ever played Blood Rage and you're like, man, I wish I could play this more. It's hard to convince people to play it. When this goes you know out to the masses, get it because it is such a really just. Gorgeous implementation of this game. <laughs> or is there is there anything you've been looking out for, Mike? Something's well, getting hopped up. Well, well, Daniel, I do believe you're setting you're you're setting me up beautifully for what we've come to know as hype intensifies. <laughs> I do actually. There's uh, two things that I've, I'm actively participating in, and one that I'm just kind of watching, not because I have the ability to participate in it, because I'll get into that, but uh, just because I, I want to see what it looks like now. So the one that I'm not participating in is from my, you know, my favorite creator in the RPG space at the moment, uh, Monty Cook Games re-releasing one of Monty's old game books, his old setting books. It's a game it's the setting of Tolis. And he's releasing it not only in 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons, but also uh, usable in the Cypher system. The reason I'm not participating in this is because of the fact that there is so much in this the original Tolis book, when it was released back in the day, was 600-something pages. They're estimating that this one will be about 700-something pages. Uh, the, the minimum backer level on this Kickstarter is like $150. Now, I say that, but I do want to be clear. There is $150 worth of stuff. that it's, They are not just jacking up a price. There is a lot of content that's coming out. Tolis takes place in this city, this this like country-sized city. 
And it's really interesting to see the dynamics, how magic is used, because magic, uh, this is the kind of world that... The best way I can describe it to somebody who isn't familiar with, you know, just the general workings of magic in Dungeons and Dragons, it's very much along the lines of if you played a more modern video game called Dragon Age, where yes, there are mages, but they are the 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 rulers and the nobility basically crack down on it. That they're like like yes, we understand that you have the ability to call fire from the heavens. Maybe somebody should keep you in check. So we're gonna like kind of control that so that happens in Tolis. so to be a, a caster in this city is a really interesting kind of setting and i'm i'm really interested in what that book looks like with a modern revamp i'm really curious to see how they build it uh to do multiple systems and uh i i'm apparently going to be able to you know we mentioned uh on, on numerous occasions we've mentioned our friend Derek white the geek preacher and i know he yes. backed it so I'm going to be pumping him for information about how the new book looks and how it, it, it feels, uh, whether it feels like an, like just an, a revamping of the old thing, or if they've really just gone at it and, uh, kind of just hammered into being some, something brand new. Well, you, you know, I have an old thing that's been re-released on, on my hop list, but it just came out. So I actually have it. So the hop train. Well, doc, I, don't I, know. I think, I think that, uh, that's worth at least mentioning. What is so, it? So, so do you like Pugmire? Yeah. Oh, how do you not love Pugmire? It's dogs okay. and cats, the role-playing game. Did, did you ever like the wind in the willows as a kid? Of course. Okay, can you imagine playing D&D as a bunny or a weasel or a squirrel? Yes, okay. I constantly do that. <laughs> so, so Troll Lord Games had uh, released something about 2010 called The Harvesters, <clears throat> where it's uh, you're playing D&D, um, but you're like a weasel or a squirrel or a mouse, and you're fighting against things in that size and uh but it you know your mouse could be a rogue you know your you know your larger animals could be like a paladin and things like that so they re-released this and i just got it last week and it's made so kids around six can get into role-playing because not because of the rules because the rules are easy enough as it is because it runs on siege engine rules from castles and crusades um, and I know I talk a lot about castles and crusades. It's just my jam right now. But um, the uh, the modules are more what the whole storylines, the things you interact with, is more of what you're going to deal, be dealing with with kids. So it, it's got kid kid level stuff in the modules. It's nothing gory and things like that. But it's you know it it's great. It, there- I mean, just I want to play a squirrel. I've seen a couple setting books that kind of are in that that genre, as it were. Like I just saw one at uh, Pax Unplugged this last year that looked really, really interesting. I I think I think having fun with that kind of setting and, and putting those kind of creatures in there, I I think it's great. I I'm always up for it. 
But yeah, that's that's the one that was on my hype train. I when they did the Kickstarter over a year ago, I was like, yes, this is gonna be great, and I finally got it, and I'm still happy about it. I told my son, <laughs> I said, We're actually, I was gonna try to play it at Conapalooza this year coming up, um, and run it for kids up there because we're me and the guy who. So I'm not officially over the game area at Conapalooza. Um, I just provide the board games via inroads. And the guy that's over the area who's planning the events and stuff, I've been talking to him. I'm like, dude, I'm so running this for kids. It's going to be awesome. And he's super excited about it because he loves running games for kids. So, Very cool. Yep. Well, I, I'm going to jump back on the Monty Cook train because uh, this is one that I have the PDFs. You want to talk about, you know, yeah. it's hype, but. Uh, I have the PDFs of this because it just went into fulfillment. But in light of the fact that that shipping anything that isn't completely essential for living, and for some reason they don't qualify game books in that, uh, my copy of Arcana of the Ancients is sitting out in a warehouse somewhere. Maybe I'll get it at some point. Arcana of the Ancients is basically Monty Cook saying, Hey... All you people who love Numenera and the Cypher system, what if we told you that, uh, okay, I, I will kick back for, I, I realize that, again, we've had a lot of new people show up in the tavern, new people find us, and so I realize more than ever that I have to double back and make sure that we're not relying on our tropes. I love Numenera. It is a game setting that is in the far, 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 far distant future of the world we live in now. If we are the first world, they're the ninth. So they their whole concept is that what happens in the D&D-style universe was one of those worlds. And so the whole idea is, is that if you wanted, you could use that and basically say that uh, the folks in your D&D setting can stumble on basically science fantasy tech i want to be playing that so much <laughs> i need to look into this it is it's basically the idea that uh the concept of these fantasy races and everything because because even in the lore long before they started doing this before they started going down this road the lore of the nine worlds is that humanity as we know it is the first and there were there, you know, we're on the ninth. Humanity is the first. Humanity is the ninth. Humanity was not necessarily even involved with some of those middle ones. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is, is that why would they would find this this tech? They 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 don't call it science fiction. It's science fantasy. The stuff that they do is yeah. ludicrous. But the idea that. It's potentially that these middle worlds would have dwarves and elves and whatever, and that they would stumble on tech that we find that we know today, and and tech that it would be developed years in the future, and I I I the idea, I wouldn't do it every setting I wouldn't do it every game but every once in a while I would love like there's too much of an Eberron player in me to not be like what if. <laughs> Too much Shadowrun, too much Eberron. I I know, because I've had these conversations with people in the tavern, I know there are people who are purists, who don't want tech in their fantasy, don't want fantasy in their cyberpunk. 
I throw all that in a blender. I want to see what comes out. So I am super excited. The PDFs are gorgeous, and well, I really want to look to, to dig into them. See, I've been wanting to build a a, a um, crap. What was that cartoon we used to watch? Um, Thunder of the Barbarian World. Yes. And I'm like, hmm, this can work. I mean, you could totally run Thundar esque adventures using Arcana of the Ancients. It's just it makes me excited. But if you think about it, though, um, you can use the since if you're used to playing Pathfinder, uh, Starfinder, you can pull tech out of Starfinder and throw it into Pathfinder because it's now reverse compatible. Almost right. So uh, you could do it that way too. So oh, there's lots of ways to do it. This is just you know. This is just me being able to be like, Monty Cook is doing this, and it's going to be both D&D 5th edition and Cypher System legal, and it's going to make me happy. Good. I'm glad. Uh, one last thing for the for Hype Intensifies it is entirely hypothetical, and it literally just started coming together within days of this, but I it, it is the epitome of hype to me. I'm super excited, and it all depends on if, if, if you know, whether or not my jokes about the world burning still remain jokes and for how long that is. Uh, because as I, I commented on Facebook, of all things, social media is actually doing something cool. I love this. Uh, I, I commented on Facebook about our local library, which I have been nothing but impressed with our local library since we moved here. And they're doing all sorts of cool stuff for people who are locked at home. Basically, it's like, there's a bucket of books that we that you can just have. Like, we're not tracking them. You can just take them. Go ahead. They also have, uh, if you email them or get in touch with them and you give them your address, they will mail you a book, movie, whatever. They'll mail it to you because they can't, they, there's nobody in the building to really, like, there's no, you're not able to get in there to do business. So they'll just mail it to you and you, they know that you'll get it back to them eventually. Like, I was super impressed and I, I jokingly said, if they had board games, I'd never leave. And, of course, because I couldn't help being slightly tongue-in-cheek, I said, if anybody from the library sees this and you want help curating a library, I have years of running a nonprofit that's game-based and I would be happy to provide you a list of, of great games to start such a library with. And then, maybe a couple hours later, there's a comment from the youth director of our local library saying that she's really wanted to get a game library for the local teenagers, and she really wants to talk to me about setting that up. There's talk about starting a monthly game day and a monthly D&D game. And I'm super excited about all of this, and I really hope this coronavirus COVID-19 nonsense gets behind us quickly, because I want to do that. <laughs> Well, here's here's the thing. Go ahead and get everything planned out and be like, hop, train it up. As soon as this is over with, a week later, we're going to be doing this. And then you'll have kids yep, right out. Jam. They'll be so tired of being at home. So you'll, you'll have to hire new DMs. Well, not hire, but get more people to help out. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm super excited for the potential for this for a lot of different reasons. I, I really think that this could be something that could be really cool let alone after the the throes of, of being locked in your house for who knows how long this is going to be. But we're talking about all this stuff in the future. 
It's time, Daniel. It's time for our longest running segment on the podcast. It's time for the Archive Dive. For those of you who might be new to the podcast, the Archive Dive is when we look back at games that are at least one year old. And you might think, that doesn't seem like very long, but if you look at the trends and how fast a game gets talked about and how quickly that game gets forgotten, there are literally 3,000 plus games being released every year now. And so the idea of one quickly disappearing from no sh- from from any kind of vision uh, and any kind of marketing is really easy. So we want to double back and find some of the ones that we like that uh, kind of potentially disappeared that we really think that people would enjoy. And uh, I'm really, really excited about the one that I'm going to bring. This one I am pretty sure I've brought up in the past, but in light of the... I, I tried to, to pick something in light of the theme of what we're talking about, in light of the whole... You know, everybody's locked at home. So I wanted to pick something that's small, that's cheap, and that if it's just you and, like, either your significant other or your roommate in your house or your apartment, you can still do this. So I, I, a little game called Tides of Time. Yeah, this is a good game. This is one of the first games when I started building my library I actually got into. I love Tides of Time. It is a completely underrated title, in my opinion. Uh, it is a game that I literally... Uh, let my friend borrow, and he's like, I really need to get this back to you, but I don't want to because we've played I can't tell you how many times. And so instead of sending me back my copy, he ordered me a new copy. <laughs> That's great. I mean, it's like, a perfect lunch game. Tides of Time is a game that I'm going to describe it thematically, and it's going to sound way bigger than it is mechanically. You are basically creating these epic like locations in this kingdom and over three distinct ages of time. What you're actually doing mechanically, it's a drafting game. It is a two-player drafting game where you're trying to, uh, depending on what you what your cards have, your cards have symbols on them. Your cards also have some kind of of ability. It's like if you have the most towers in your collection, you'll get a boatload of points. If you don't have any of this symbol, you'll get, you know, a boatload of points. All sorts of things like that. It is the most simple basic game there is. It's it literally comes down to draft cards and count points. I the, the mechanically, it's the most basic of basic. This is one of those games that I point to people if they want to learn what... If, like, if you're hearing me now and you go, what does card drafting mean? Play this game and you will know what every card drafting game out there does. Pretty much. I mean, like, that's where I learned how to play card drafting games was this game and... Um, it's actually one of my favorite mechanics now. So, like, one of my favorite uh, games is Sushi Go. 
Yeah, I'm I'm super excited about drafting games. I enjoy the heck out of them. Yeah, this and Sushi Go are my go-to. If you want to learn how to draft cards, these are the two games. If you have I would if you only have two people, I would point you to Tides of Time. If you have more people, Sushi Go. Yeah. Uh but the reason you there are three ages I, I mentioned in my my breakdown is because one of the cool things that sets this apart from other drafting games is that every age, so basically you play three rounds. Every age, you get to basically keep one of the cards from the previous round. So you're basically keeping it saying, this is a a, a relic of the past age. And it, it basically keeps that card around. So you can still use its symbols. You can still use its ability. And so you're adding a, a couple new cards and you're basically... Uh, keeping one kind of so you know what you're doing but the, the really interesting strategy of this is that if you look across the table and see what card that your opponent kept you're also gaining insight in the kind of cards they're looking for so again it's a very simple game but there is still this this opportunity for really interesting choices and strategies in a game that, from start to finish, I think the longest it's ever taken me is maybe a half hour. And that's really just grindingly halting to analysis paralysis. Like, this is not a long game. This is like a 15-minute game, if that. So, Daniel, you said that you've, you've played it before. What are some of the things that you like about it? The artwork. <laughs> oh, the artwork is stunning. Yeah, yeah that... I mean, it was my first time playing a drafting card game, and it took us a few rounds to really get the hang of it. Uh, me and my buddy Andrew played it, and, um, you know, I, I, I take it with me. It's one of the games I take with me on trips. I keep um, a, we, we keep a small tub of, if we go somewhere on vacation, we take a tub of games. <clears throat> so what we have uh, one of those little Rubbermaid containers. It's probably about a foot and a half uh a foot and a foot and a half tall, and that's where all our card games go and light board games. And so I probably pack about 50 games in that one tub, and Tides of Time is one of them. And so, like, wherever we go, like, to the beach or something, and we just are sitting around the hotel room or something towards the end of the night, we'll bust a game out, play a game, because, you know, we don't want the kids sit, sitting in front of the TV the entire time. Yeah, it's really good, and it's really cheap. Uh, I have nothing but... Like, if you even hear this and go, that is even remotely interesting. It's so cheap, there's no reason not to pick it up. It's a great little two-player game. Uh, a great game if you've got like a few minutes just around... Just sitting around doing nothing, like all of us do at the moment. I would highly recommend it. It's really, really great. Now, we're going to move on to our next segment, which is it's quickly becoming some of my favorite part of the podcast, dude. Yeah, this is actually one of my favorite parts. And this first question, oh my god. Well, hold on, hold on. we've got to I we've know, got I, to I, set I it up. Don't go running so in there. Sometimes so, uh I'm a little Roy Jenkins of the, the podcast. <laughs> so, what this is is it's called Tavern Talk.
So Tavern Talk is pretty much we have our Facebook group called the Tavern. Uh, it's where all of our it's where a lot of the the best people on the internet live, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, every time we're getting up to to do an episode, I post a thing on there that says, "Hey, what are your questions?" And uh, we try to generally pick about three or so and uh, answer them. And we're I'm I there's some really cool potential for these ones. Yeah. Well, and I do want to say something. When you look on Facebook for the tavern, there's about three taverns on there, and you're going to find the one that's. You click on it, and you'll see a big Inroads Ministries type logo in there. Make sure it's the right one. We ask you some dumb questions, and that's how you know it's us. <laughs> but um, we yeah. we ask dumb questions because we care. Yeah, yeah, because we care. Now I, I will say this is becoming one of my favorite segments, and I love it. But I am very upset about this round of questions. Why? Because we didn't get enough. We for so, I'm convinced it's due to the fact that everyone is trying to learn how to do church online this weekend. Like I I'm convinced because normally when we've asked these questions, it's been like, okay, how do we pick three out of these thirty? So I will give you this though. I have been setting up churches to do church online for the last ten years. If you need to know how to do that, contact me. I can get it it going for as cheaply as a $50 webcam and maybe $10 in software. And you, as long as you have an internet connection, you'll be fine. All right. That, so yeah. that said, yeah, let, let's get to the actual question. Okay. You, you were chomping at the bit. I literally I know, couldn't get know, out the segment missed, description. You, you were so excited one. to answer this one. So please feel free to give this one and answer it. Okay. So this one comes from our friend, Jeff Jackson. And if you don't know Jeff, he's a really cool dude. And he also runs a escape room. He's a manager of an escape room. But his question is, what type of escape room would you build? And you know, the, I mentioned earlier that we actually bought a new game this week. And it is an escape room game. It's our first one. I can't remember. It's very small. It was only like $13 at Target. And um, it's... You know, more cardy, card based stuff. Um, nothing like you have to listen to anything to figure it out. Um, we're super excited about playing it. We're going to do it this week. But anyway, enough said. I would, okay, I love Rude Goldberg machines. So my escape room would kind of be a steampunk theme Rude Goldberg machine where each section of it you have to figure out how it works and where to place it. And then when you finally get the last piece in, it triggers something and it causes the door to unlock. Goes, you know, boom, 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 and the door unlocks. I don't know whether to love that or hate it. <laughs> well, it could be kind of difficult because, you know, I would theme it Victorian style. Um, it The questions would really be themed that period you know, to figure out how to place the mechanisms that need to go. You know, there would have to be a little bit of tech involved because, you know, it's not really going to work. So it would have to act like it's working. So, But I think it could be done. I have many, many thoughts <laughs> of things that I could potentially... The, 
the challenge for me with theming a an escape room is that I would have to be I'd have to have somebody else who could just pat me on the shoulder and say, Mike, that would cost thousands of dollars to make that happen in real life. We can't do that. <laughs> but uh, there is something that I, I would theme that I would love and I think could be done as long as you have somebody with a lot of time and a lot of talent with some like paper mache. Uh, I would do what I, I, I how do I want to phrase this? I would do an artificer's workshop where the whole idea is is that by the end of the the time frame you have you've created a golem. That's kind of cool. So I would I would just imagine puzzles like you know that puzzle where it's like you have two vials but they're different sizes and you have to get the right size of liquid into yeah. the other like that puzzle that shows up everywhere like that kind of thing would be perfect for this like you're mixing the chemicals that that run the golem like I could just see like different keys and different kind of things that to get different parts that you need and you have to take the parts from each puzzle to put it together into the golem like I, I'm a sucker for a golem. Like, the golem of Prague is one of my favorite stories in all of folklore. And, uh, I, I would love to see that. I, how much you want to bet Jeff asked this because he's looking for the next round of rooms? Oh, Jeff, uh, if you I, make, I totally know he is. Jeff, if you make the golem room, I will, it's not entirely too far. I can get on a train. No. I would go to. <laughs> if he makes the steampunk room, if it, I'll, and it has to be after the quarantine. I will talk to my wife and I will drive. <laughs> I will drive up there and play this room. There we okay. go. So, I think it's only fitting that I kind of set up the next one. Yes, because this is a perfect question for you. This is this is literally a question for me. Uh, I was asked by David Gardner. Uh, I kind of I'll kind of piece together the the, the way he phrased it in, in my own kind of paraphrase. But he basically asked about uh, the Parables of the Nine Realms, which is me retelling Bible stories in the fantasy world that my my weird devotional podcast, The Barden Bible, takes place in. He asked whether the Parable of the Nine Realms uh, or the Barden Bible, just overall, uh, how does that minister to folks outside of the church? And I don't really have any specific, like like, amazing stories, but I have a consistent... Uh, theme as far as talking to people. I will give one example. Uh, I recently opened up a Patreon, uh, hoping that I can earn a little money to dedicate more time to making content for inroads and less time searching for second and third jobs. So uh, when I did that, I wanted to set up an account for the Patreon for bookkeeping reasons, all the, the fun adulting responsibility stuff that comes along with doing something fun like setting up a Patreon. So I was sitting there in my bank. This was before all the quarantine stuff happened. And I'm talking to this guy and he goes, why do you want to set up this, this account? And I said, I'm, I'm doing a Patreon. And he goes, oh, I vaguely know what that's about. What, what do you make? And I told him, I told him specifically uh, just in general about the ministry, but specifically about Barden Bible and the par- parables of the nine realms. And this guy is not a Christian at all, has vaguely touched Dungeons and Dragons. He told me about how his first and only game of D&D crashed hard, but he, he, he even recognized it was because it was a terrible DM. But uh, 
Like, so he has no ties to gaming, no ties to church, but he still heard me talk about these two things, the Barden Bible that's a story-based devotional and the Parable of the Nine Realms retelling these Bible stories in the fantasy setting. And he took my business card and was like, I'm going to listen to these. Heck, I gave him the website. He may be listening to this too, so whatever. But like that right there, it Barden Bible and Parables of the Nine Realms epitomizes something that I've talked about inroads since the beginning. We are often the people who show up with people who have had bad experiences with church or they've had just this they've only seen church from a distance and have had all the the terrible stereotypes that come along with seeing church from a distance. We show up and we're like, nah dude, nerds live here. <laughs> like, yeah. like we we show up and be like like, like, I'm incredibly sorry that the people who took your D&D books and burned them in your backyard, that was wrong. And I really wish that didn't happen because here's all the ways that we see God in this experience. And we, the, I, I will continue to, to bring this up. My wife had the best example of what, like the best story wise that, that we, it explains what we do. In the concept, the parable of, of you know, some plant, some water, and others come for the harvest. We're the folks who show up before any of that happens to till the ground so that seeds can actually be planted. And in both those cases, uh, Barden Bible as a whole, the responses I've gotten are twofold. There are people in the church who just are so used to devotionals being a certain way and just see what I do as this fresh kind of thing. And they like that I just do it very matter of fact and very story based. So I, I just tell the stories and I dive into, I dive into aspects of Bible, Bible narrative that a lot of devotional people just don't mostly because that's just the way my weird little mind works. And the parable of nine realms, there's only one of them so far, but I've, I've yet to see a single episode of anything we do. This podcast, Barden Bible, uh, any of our articles, I've not seen anything passed around more frequently and more fervently than that one episode called The Good Orc. So, like, it wasn't even The Good Orc that got me into Barden Bible. And it wasn't the fact that you had this podcast, because for the longest time, I wouldn't listen to it. And it wasn't the fact that I didn't want to listen to it. It's just that I don't listen to a lot of devotional podcasts. Right. So, because when I sometimes listen to Derek, I sometimes listen to Min Max, sometimes listen to Saving the Game. But most of my spare time is true crime. Right. I love true crime. But when you read Lamentations, <laughs> you broke my heart. And well, the word, the way you were, read the Word of God broke my heart, and in a good way. In a good way, stress. Yeah, in a yeah, good way. <laughs> in, in a good way, because I never thought about it the way you read it, and so I was like, "Well, I, I guess I need to start listening to Mike." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know and i was like there could be something here and and so far that everything i listen to out of the barton bible has helped me out a little bit and the good work i love it 
Um, I haven't got to listen to the latest one too much. I've got two minutes in it, and then I had to turn it off because I was working and I had sidetracked. But I need to finish it up. So, but yeah. So I, I hope that answers a little bit of that. <laughs> uh, now, now to get on to other things. Um, Brett Anderson, who has appeared as a guest host like way back in the day on on this particular podcast, he's my nemesis. <laughs> Brett is is well. When I was in New Jersey, he was my local painting expert. If Daniel was my my in house painting expert, Brett was my Arr. local one. Anyway, uh, Brett asks, "How are you guys playing with other people, or are you trying to make solitaire versions of your favorite games?" See, I think this is a setup question. It very well could be, and I will thank him for it. <laughs> so, do we want to answer that, or just go to coffee and contemplation? Well, I, I will. I will quickly kind of touch on it, just for me personally. Yeah. Uh, for me personally, uh, I unless a game is specifically designed to be solitaire, I don't play it solitaire. Like. Like, unless, and even then, there are some games that are designed for solitaire, and you can tell somebody just designed it because that's the trend. But the sol- the solitaire game is not good. Or, in some situations, like, I think the solitaire version of Scythe is brilliantly designed. But I don't want to set up all of Scythe to play by myself. As much as I love Scythe. Like, that's a lot of setup for just me. So, uh, really, as far as, as playing with other people right now, it is over some of the things that we're going to be talking about here in a minute. Uh, specifically, I like to play uh, either Tabletop Simulator or if there's a board game that comes in its own app, like like uh, Blood Rage that I mentioned earlier. I want to play, like I was just talking today with Steven about the fact that I want to play with him because we both love Blood Rage and we both have the beta for the Blood Rage Digital. We want to be playing that. So, like, that's the kind of thing I would do. Uh, all the while planning on who I want to have over the second doors can be opened to the the, the clean world. Uh, but yeah, I don't I don't really do solitaire versions of my favorite games unless they're specifically designed for it. And I'll tell you, um, the fourth edition board games for D and D. Like Castle Ravenloft, stuff like that. They all, uh, they're set up as modules. Like you have these little modules for the game, so um, it, it's just a plot hook for it. And there is always the intro module is a solitaire game, so you can pl- learn it by playing through that solitaire version of the game. And there are a few games out there that do have a good solitaire aspect to it, but yeah. Part of it is the setup, you know. I never thought about Scythe. I knew that there was a solitaire aspect to it. I just never thought about it because I can't find anybody to play it with me right now. I would say I would play the solitaire version of Scythe more if I had a dedicated game room. Yeah. Like, if I had a place to set it up and leave it set up, I would I would find ways to play it constantly. Or one of those tables that have a game insert area where you could hide your stuff. Where I yes, that's another way that I would do it. And but this I have episode neither. of Game Store Profits is brought. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, 
See, that would have been a perfect setup if we could have had a sponsor hey, for that. Hey, if the other Daniel Fisher wants to send me a table, I'm not going to, to say no to him. But not that not being the case, yeah. uh, we're going to just move on. Because, yes, in, in it all comes down to the setup time and the space it takes. Of all the games that I've played Solitaire, I think my favorite one is one that exists right here behind me, Spirit Island. It it remains my favorite co-op game, and for the amount of setup it does take, I think it's a great solitaire game. I haven't done it because I have a two-year-old, but uh, if there was a spot that I could leave that set up, that's another one that I would love to just sit around. But really, until until I have some place to leave it set up or Noah gets a little older so I can trust him around it, uh, yeah, it's going to be digital for me. That said, as Daniel hinted, it's time for our last segment uh, where we take a topic and just randomly talk about the things we think about it and give our opinions. It's time for Coffee and Contemplation. Yay! Maybe for you. Uh, In this particular episode, of course, we're going to talk about gaming in quarantine like everybody is, like every YouTuber, every podcast. You can't avoid it, so we have to talk about it. But I think that that the way it was kind of talked between the two of us and the way other people have at least approached me about it is that I have always, from the word go with Inroads, from the word go with this podcast, which predates Inroads, I've always said that given my druthers, I will always, always, always prefer being in the same place with the people I'm playing with. Amen. That said, how how does a guy like me, who has always favored the physical, what value is there when the physical isn't an option when you aren't you're physically incapable of being in the same space but before we get into that i do want to take a minute because daniel brought up a good point as we were gearing up for this uh it's not so prevalent for me right now but for daniel who has a house load yes five total including myself right there we do want to take a minute to talk about just how valuable this time that you're going to be together in your house, because there's no other place to go, how gaming can be really helpful there. Well, you know, I pointed out to Mike before the show is that me and my wife have been studying the Sabbath, and that we are looking at setting a time that we want every week to be our Sabbath, Sunday or Saturday starting at sundown to Sunday at sundown. And no screens, just spending family time together, or just lounging around, resting in God, reading a book, just in doing something that's not focused on a screen. And it's not a screen time issue. This is really a f- issue of just spending time with God or with family members. And I pointed out to my wife that even though this is horrible, people are dying from it, this could be kind of a blessing from God for us because we are having to slow down. I don't have scouts right now because of this. My daughter doesn't have band lessons because of this. We don't have sports because of this. And it's literally, we're working from home now. 
and spending all this time with our kids. And it's just like we just slowed our entire world outside of work, just halted. And we're like, what should we do? And first thing my wife did is like, well, I'm going to make a schedule for the kids. Because the, you know, they do have their homework because the school's sitting at home. But now we have all this extra time that we are not going outside. Except for yard work, maybe. But we're not going to go outside and visit people. We're not going to go play sports or nothing like that. And we're just going to love on each other and spend time together. And from she literally scheduled every day from four to five board games. Every good day. woman right there. It's a yes. Good woman. She's because because my children they're like tonight they wanted to play Monte Coro but it was too late and they're like well, when are we gonna play it well she's like well, we're gonna play it tomorrow between four or five the board game time <laughs> and wrote it in I was like oh my gosh I'm I married a woman it's awesome <laughs> <laughs> so yeah if you are in that situation where you do have a house load board games are just a really great way to get everybody in the house together where. You know, there is a level of healthy escapism that, you know, it allows you to escape the stress and the, the, let's just face it, overwhelming craziness because you can't go anywhere and not hearing about it. So it gives you a little bit of, of space to exist. You also just have the ability to just be together, to spend some time with people that I believe you might love. Yeah, yeah. But for situations like myself, who doesn't have a lot of people floating around the house right now, uh, and one of the people who is floating around the house is a two-year-old who has just a constant stream of movement and energy, it's really, really important that we kind of have these electronic, that we have these digital communities. Now, I've, for a long time, I've, I've kind of, I don't want to say I've poo-pooed digital communities because I've been building one. So I can't say that I've been downplaying them while I've been building one. But I've kind of just kind of, they've kind of been just the back burner. Like, oh yeah, it's great. Digital communities are awesome. But but physical, you want the the physical presence. It's all been about the table. It's all been about, and part of that is is just the branding. In a digital world, I have to, to bring board games into a digital space. I need to stress the power of the physical community, the 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 incarnate kind of space that we've got here. But there really are a lot of benefits to having this digital space, to being able to to have these experiences in a digital world. That said, before we get into all that stuff, let's just run down because a lot of people don't realize just how many tools there are out there to play role-playing games and board games online with each other. Now, this is just a short list. This isn't all of them. So, and this is the ones just off the top of my head. Most of them. You added, like, two. So, <laughs> but well, you want me to go down you the beat, list? You beat me to some of my, my yeah. go-tos. So. Yeah. You want me to go down the list and talk a little bit about them? Or... Uh, go for it. Okay, so roll 20. Um, I don't prefer other people do. Not want to hate on it. Love it because it fits a need. But like for this, they're giving away uh, Call of Cthulhu starter pack. Um, icons or, uh, you know, 
markers for your your game. They're giving away other modules. They're actually selling a if you're a pro member, that's just for your free member stuff. If you're a pro member, um, they're actually giving you away paid um, stuff for D and D Fifth Edition, and you know if that's the one you go with, that's great. Um, yeah, what one of one of the reasons that that we've often used Roll Twenty as a selling point is the fact that you have a a fully built experience for free. Yeah, and it doesn't require any special software. It's right. all built into your web browser. And that's one thing I do love about it. It's in your web browser. Um, and now for, I'm going to try to keep Daniel yeah. from talking 20 extra minutes about the thing that's next. No, I, I won't talk about it that long. Fantasy Grounds, that's my go-to. I love it because I'm able to share my stuff out with my, my people. They're not having any. I've actually commented to them about this, that they're missing out. But they're not doing anything special for the, the, the virus. Um, Astral, they're doing some special stuff, but I don't know what it is, but theirs looks pretty dang cool. Um, it's another web-based one. You've got D20 Pro. Um, I haven't played around with it too much. GM Forge, which is another new one that just came out a while back. Uh, when it's getting ready to go live is Foundry Virtual Tabletop. Um, it's actually being released at the end of this month, which they may move it up because of everything that's going on. It's actually 3D. Like, you can build your terrain in it in 3D. Um, you've got 3D Virtual Tabletop, which is another one. Um, you've got, I, I put it this way, flipping any voice over the internet, Discord, Google Hangouts, Skype. You got your books and you still want to play and you want your books in your hands. You just need to be able... You don't need special software. If you do Theater of the Mind, straight up, just do voice. You know? I I run Theater of the Mind games. I If I ever have a map, it's literally just to make sure that we know I'm close to this guy. Like, <laughs> I, I do mostly Theater of the Mind. I often run on uh, on Zoom or Skype or whatever. Well, see, with me, it's I do use maps for, for model placement or people placement, but I share images. And... This like this is what this area looks like, you know. If I'm not descriptive enough, right? Um, play by email. Some people still do that, and you know, it's that's the one you would be using if you can't sync your time frames up with your friends, right? So you you do play by email um, for board games. Um, Mike, I'll let you do these because you're more board gaming than me. The first thing I will say is that. There was recently a post on Girls Game Shelf, which is a wonderful website that you should check out. Uh, the folks at, at GGS basically put together a list of six sites specifically for playing board games through their web browser. Uh, some of them I'm about to mention, but there are ones that I'd never even heard of before. So I'm going to give them credit. I will be sure to link that, that uh, post in the show notes here because... It's worth checking out. They break them down as to what the good and the bad and the ugly of all of them are. You can find one that is, is suitable to you. Uh, the the one that I was first acquainted with for playing board games over the internet is Tabletop Simulator. Which is great. It is available on Steam. I believe, at least at the time of the recording, it is available for 50% off the normal price. Once you pay that price, you have access to a ton of stuff. That people have created now. I want you to know that. 
there is there is a combination. If you want all the pieces to look exactly like they do on your board, all the art assets and all that stuff, you can pay like like any kind of DLC for a video game, and they'll give you all of the assets, and it'll look exactly like it does on your table. If you're if you're not up for that, then you can just take somebody who who did you know knockoff pieces or 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 kind of sort of look like the game. But it is the actual game, and they will, you know, you can find countless titles on there. You can find prototypes on there. You can find any number of things that you can play on Tabletop Simulator. This is how me and Steven are going to be playing 40K, hopefully soon, and you can play D&D on it. Right. If you do want, if you don't mind paying a little bit, but you want to have every game you play to have that, that, really, really put together look that it looks exactly like it does on your table, has all the art assets, has uh really like Tabletop Simulator is has a physics engine. So when you pick something up, you can drop it off the table. You can do so if if that's your jam, then there you go. If that sounds horrifying to you, <laughs> Tabletopia might be better for you because not only do they work with all the publishers to get all of the games looking like they do on your table they also have situations where like you bring it a piece over to where it's supposed to go and it locks that piece into place. So if you want just a more clean experience and don't mind paying a couple extra bucks, Tabletopia is a great way to go. Board Game Arena, long before either of those other two were around, Board Game Arena exists. It is a way to play board games on a very scaled down way, but it gets the job done and you are playing the board games as they are intended via your web browser. Uh, there is there is a paid account for Board Game Arena, but there's also a free account. There's also groups. I believe as we mentioned Jeff Jackson. Jeff has created an Inroads Ministries group in Board Game Arena. So you can find us there already. You can find people in the tavern already at Board Games Arena if you want to look into that one. But there there's an ever-growing amount of, of people who are doing... And then, that doesn't even, I, 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 like I said, it's ever-growing amount. There are that doesn't even include all the apps that exist as individual apps. Gloomhaven, Gloomhaven is on there. Charterstone is upcoming. Small World is going. Uh, Carcassonne has been on there forever. Uh, if you have a Switch, my goodness, there are a ton of board games that have been coming out for the Switch. It's just been hitting on all cylinders with with releasing stuff on the Switch. So. There are, is no shortage of great ways that you can get together and play these games online. So, that said, we want, to, we want to make sure that we talk about the value of this. It's not just because you can't get out of your house. So, I want to stress, yes, we are talking about this in the light of the quarantine, in the light of the fact that we are all practicing social distancing, and doing all the stuff we need to do to make sure that this thing runs its course and ends, or at least becomes manageable, uh, there is value in these online spaces and these online communities, even when we can get together in meet space. Even as guys who will say, we prefer getting together and being at a physical table, there is important value for these spaces as well. And I want to spend some time talking about that. There are some very, very simple things. Daniel and I, for example, 
both have families. Yes. We have children. Mm-hmm. What is the running joke as to why why we came up with Coffee and Contemplation rather than the old school format of our podcast where we were talking about what we were playing? Because it's hard to play. Yes. Yes. And and so, like, as a kid, I was like, man, when I'm an adult, I'm going to spend so much time at the comic shops playing 40K and Blood Bowl and Dungeons and Dragons. And that happened. And then I got married. And then I spent so much time with my wife and then children happened and... Now they're getting to the age where they are playing with me, but I still have to spend time at home. But I get to play these games online with my friends online now because they're all adults now and they have families and they don't have time to pack all their miniatures up and head to the store and play because we can't do that now anymore. Yeah, my favorite meme is is there's like the, the guys protesting this is like, like, what do we want to play games together? When can we play? And the three guys are like, Saturday, Friday, Thursday. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's really how it is now. And that's one of the reasons why I switched to Fantasy Grounds. Because I could play whenever I want with friends all across the world. So yeah, on, on one level, there will always be just the simple logistics of, you mean I, I don't have to, to worry about getting kids out the door. I don't have to worry about, you know, get, taking care of everything I need to take care of before I leave the house. I don't have to worry about, you know, I just have to make sure, like, a lot of the times I'm playing, it's because my wife and child are asleep. Like, I plan on being like, they're asleep, now we can play. Because then I don't I don't have to worry about scheduling. There you go. It, you know, I can't do that when, you can't plan on that and then travel 20 minutes up the road. I mean, you used to when you're single, but not when you're when I was When I was single and a younger man, I would do stuff like that, well, but yeah. I'm neither of those right now. Yeah. And, and another cool thing about it is, and with what's going on now, is that, you know, with the whole virus stuff, that, you know, my son's game, his D&D game, you know, I talked to the parents that of the other kids that are in it, and I'm like, hey, um, Andrew wants to play, but, you know, we can't play physically. If I send you a link, will you install something? And we're going to play it that way. And they're like, sure. So I'm going to be setting up a game for them online to play. So we can still run our game. And then, you know, it it's everything that, you know, we've been talking about. And we're actually going to get to play more because these kids' lives are more normally more busy than us as adults. I have one kid that had, I had to drop out of Cub Scouts because his parents put him into so much stuff. He almost had a breakdown. Yeah. And, and he chose not to stay in Cub Scouts, which is fine. But I mean, it's like we keep him so busy and he couldn't play D and D, but now he can online. So, cause we'll make time for it. There is another thing that's kind of related to logistics, but it is, incredibly clear um in light of this 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 disease this illness because one of the things that you've started noticing is is that all these things are getting canceled but one that hit us particularly close to home is the fact that we have served as the Gary Con board game library 
for a couple of years now, and Gary Khan has closed its physical, like, like the gathering. But we're still doing a virtual. I was going to get there. Uh, the a, a good portion of why it needed to get closed is because a lot of the participants are those old school gamers, and a lot of those those guys have they're getting on in age, and these are the people who are incredibly susceptible to getting this illness and not having it go well at all. Right. And so the idea of of getting an entire room full of those people is lunacy. So to do that, that like. As Daniel just said, there's now going to be playing games online. Now, is it as cool as being able to, like, shake the hands of people who created Dungeons & Dragons? No. But it will still be cool to be able to look on the screen and, like, I'm talking to you, the person who helped create Dungeons & Dragons. That's still there. Yeah. And it's interesting because there's a certain few of us that know how to set these games up. So they have to actually interact with those people now to get them to the point where they can run a game online. Right. And so it it really allows for a, a it's a safety issue in some regards. Like this this allows for people who otherwise could not participate because of health reasons because let's just face it like uh the a lot of the spaces that we play these conventions in, when we play these games in, no one's really taking into effect like people with different disabilities. Yeah. Like physical disabilities. Like differently abled folks aren't necessarily able to participate in these spaces because no one thinks to make those spaces available to them. Or you're playing in somebody's basement. Yeah. You know, like, a lot of these, like, like they can't participate because they can't physically get to the space. But a second you go online, suddenly they are just as viable as everybody else. They don't have to worry about how are they going to get there. They don't have to worry about how are they going to be able to get out of there once they get there. They're not going to have to worry about any of the challenges that they might face while they're in that space. So people who otherwise would not be able to participate, suddenly it becomes easy. It becomes, like button clicks and that also um like for example how you run your game also affects that as well because not everybody can hear not everybody can talk but right. you can use a text-based game which you know a lot of your stuff you go ahead and have it pre-typed but you know that's going to be a lot better for them because they'll also be able to go back into their notes that's one of the things when i play is any descriptive stuff, I also put it in chat so they can go back in that and add that to their notes as well. Well, and and one of the things I'll point out, one of the first games we played as a ministry was a Pathfinder play-by-post. Yeah. That was one of the first games we played. And it's entirely text-based. That opens up that simple... that It really is just a simple way of doing it opens up a whole world to people who couldn't otherwise be a part of it. Uh, another thing uh, in the logistics realm is it allows for people with, with crazy schedules to find other people who also have that crazy schedule. I'm sa I'm saying this as a guy whose day job is night shift. So like, there have been so many times when I've been like, 
Oh, I would love to play in the game that you're talking about. When is it happening? Oh, it's happening when I'm at work. Fantastic. <laughs> like I, I've lost track of the number of times that's been a part of, of my interactions with people who want to play games. So the idea that I could be like, oh, hey, somebody who's, you know, in England or, hey, you know, somebody who also works night shift who isn't anywhere near me, let's play something because I'm up, you're up, neither one of us is at work, let's do this. The last one is the more philosophical, at least for me. I love the fact that the online community, you can literally play with people around the globe. Yes. You are playing with people around the world. Not only are you you have just the cool aspect of that happening, but you also, in the course of talking, part of the cool thing that, that happens is that you, you not only have the, the cool part of that happening in the space, but you also are able to just, as you're talking, as you're experiencing existence together, as you're playing these things over and over again with these people from all around the world, you're just able to get a small glimpse as to how they see the world, how they experience life, what their struggles are, and you share the same with them. There have been so many times when I've been talking to people, like I was talking with people in in all, all across the African continent because of inroads. Because there have been conventions sprouting up there like crazy. There have been times when I've talked to people from Australia and all over Europe. And not only have I been able to connect with these people over the, the shared games that we like, but there's just the fact that we're chatting about what life is like and what's important and what's happening. You get to have this experience where, like, even... Let's tie it back into the, the, the general theme of the day. You could be talking to people who, are, who have been dealing with this quarantine a lot longer than we have here in the U.S. Like, you could have that at your fingertips because you're playing a game with somebody who happens to be in, like, an Italy or a Japan or a China. And, and also... also... Uh, we're talking a lot about gaming here, but it doesn't even have to be gaming. It can, no. I mean, like, I paint miniatures, and we do a lot of uh, painting chats, is what we call it. It's where we throw up a video link, and people all jump in, and we it's like sitting around a table, and we're all painting miniatures, and we'll hold our miniature up to the camera and be like, look, how's this, how's this look? Y'all got any input on this? And, but we're actually sitting and and that's how I made some really good friends that, um, you know, that were lifting, that would lift me up and push me harder in my painting. And, you know, I still talk to them on a daily basis. One of them is in, uh, actually two of them are in, uh, England and one of them is in Australia. And it's just that. They help me in, in, in a bad part of my life, and I help them, hopefully, a little bit in some parts of their life. But it's people that I met online. Yeah, and so are, are we going to change our tune and be like, oh, man, online is the best? No, we're still no. going to tell you that, uh, that, that in-person community, that incarnate experience of literally being across the table, we're still going to tell you that's better. But we're also going to tell you that 
in situations where you can't make that happen or in situations where you have that but you also want to experience online there is a really really cool aspect of this hobby that can only be experienced online it, whether it's getting more people to the table or experiencing cooler stuff when you're there there's stuff that you're only going to be able to be to bring to bear if you're doing it online so whether you're you're listening to this now and you're in the middle of a quarantine my goodness, fire up any of the multitude of things we just listed and let's play some things together. If you're listening to this afterwards and thank goodness everything's good and our doors are open and we can all come together, please hang out together uh, you know, in the spaces where you're able to. But if you're, if you're not able to due to scheduling, due to responsibilities, or due to your own physical limitations, folks online gaming is still beautiful gaming and it really allows us to be part of this global community part of this global church and really understand what it means that we are in fact all in this together that we are not just islands out there kind of floating around figuring out how to do this we are all of us part of one body and anytime we can remind ourselves of that is a good thing. Daniel, do you want to redeem yourself from the last time and actually try to make it happen? <sighs> All right. Remember, God is the game master. And no matter how the dice falls, the game plays on. He did it, ladies and gentlemen. He did it. <laughs>